the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Ice Cold Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, church questions, anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, and especially on a day like this, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. I don't have any announcements today other than please be careful out in the weather. Uh, So we'll get right to questions. The first one comes from Nathan. And Nathan says, why did God reject Cain's sacrifice? Nathan, the answer is um, uh, pretty straightforward. It was a sacrifice offered in disobedience. It was a sacrifice offered without faith. We're told in Hebrews that uh, Abel's sacrifice was offered by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. But behind the scenes, there's more going on. Now, clearly, Nathan, we know that God had spoken to to Adam uh, regarding the type of sacrifice that would be necessary to atone for sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. You'll remember that um, uh, Adam and Eve were naked and they weren't uh, ashamed. They, they were covered by the glory of God. And as soon as they ate uh, the fruit from the forbidden tree, the glory of God departed and they recognized they were naked. So um, God went looking for Adam. Now, obviously, God knew where he was, but, but he's asking a question to get Adam's response. Adam, Adam, where art thou, Adam? And Adam said, we're over here, we're hiding, we were naked and we were ashamed and uh, God, of course, then accused him of, of the facts you've, you've eaten the forbidden fruit. Um, the next time we see them, they were trying at that point to cover themselves with fig leaves. Uh, the next time we see them, they're wearing animal skins over their private parts. So, Nathan, that's the, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or remission of sins. And that's simply God saying, look, the, the, the way to have your sins forgiven is blood. Now, it's different in the Old Testament. The sins were only covered over from time to time. But um, there would come a lamb uh, who would cover the sins of the world forever and ever. And, of course, we know that's Jesus Christ. Clearly, God had made it um, um, obvious to them what kind of sacrifice he wanted. It's also clear from the story that for a, a long time, we have no idea of knowing how much time, but both Cain and Abel had given those sacrifices. Well, this is rebellion on Cain's part. He decided to offer God the work of his hands. 
I'm sure his sacrifice took a lot of work. I'm sure he put a lot of effort into it. And I'm certain, uh, Nathan, that uh, he was proud of it. I did this with my own hands. And, and, of course, that's when God rejected it because we can't come to God on the basis of the work of our own hands. So that's why his sacrifice was rejected. There's a much bigger story for us, though, Nathan. Just like Cain, when we try to come to God on our terms, on the basis of our work, you know, I'm a good person, Lord. I do more good than bad. I try my best. Um, this is what I can do, and this is what I want you to accept. We can't approach God on that basis. And just as it was with Cain, uh, we will die in our sins apart from being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Nathan, that's the reason why his sacrifice was rejected. It's also, as I indicated, the reason our sacrifices, our offerings to God on the basis of our own merits, what I can do, I can be good, or I can try hard, or I'm doing my best. None of that works. Our sins are only covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I hope that answers your question, Nathan. Very uh, good question. Let's go to line one and talk with Susan from San Antonio. Susan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thank you, sir. Um, I appreciate your help, and um, I have a question. Um, my sister and I were in our 50s. Um, my sister lost her job. I'm wondering how much help I should give her. Um, kind of give you some background. Mm -hmm. She's been enabled by my mother all her life, but my mother died like 10 years ago. So I've been trying to help her ever since then. You know what I mean? Just yeah. help her help herself, not enable her. I, I told my mom while she was alive, Mom, you know, you cannot be God in her life. You need to <laughs> stop enabling her. Um, she's got three certifications that she doesn't use. Um, uh, it's like she makes herself helpless. And, you know, her health is going, she's younger than I am, actually, but her health is kind of going down the tubes. And um, I want to help her help herself. And I know she would like to be near family, but if I bring her, it, like if I brought her to my house, she would never leave. Oh, wow. You know, she just, um, you know, I, spiritually speaking, I mean, I know it's like, well, if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> you know, that's yep. in the Bible. But I'm wondering, like I say, how much help I should give her. I, I, my husband, you know, he does not want me to bring her here, but I don't want to leave her helpless. Like I say, she lost her job, and now she's just, you know... <sighs> I, I'll just I'll just ask you. I'll be quiet now and <laughs> ask you because I'm sure there's plenty of other people that may be struggling in this area. Yeah, and I get I get this kind of question in in counseling all the time. Susan, can I ask if she is a believer, a professing believer? She is, and that's the thing. But she doesn't go to church. You know, after this COVID yeah. stuff, she's like, you know, I don't want to get sick and blah blah blah. But she needs she needs to be around other Christians. She needs to network. She needs. You know, she's just by herself in her apartment with her cats. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> and that's goodness. not healthy for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Susan, I'll, I'll, I'll do the best I can not knowing um, more about the relationship. But, but especially with Christians, especially when it comes to other believers, we have to make them accountable to God. Um, and especially somebody with a track record of being enabled um, in your family, somebody who has done nothing, um, you know, the, the, the best counsel you can give her is to, to find Jesus, to seek Jesus with all of her heart. And probably she'd say, well, I'm a believer. I already believe. Well, that's when you say, but if you're a believer, you've got to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And you've got to learn to run to him with your problems. He's the one that can provide you the help and provide the answers you're looking for. And I can't do it. I love you and I'm going to be praying for you, but you need Jesus. You need to be back in church and you need to be in a place where, where God is the only one that you're accountable to run to. Part of the problem, Susan, is that as long as we're enabling people, they keep running back to us instead of running to Jesus. And uh, I know it makes you feel bad. I know that there's, uh, there's guilt attached to it. And they, the guilt, of course, the condemnation comes from the enemy. But it's just one of those things you've got to decide. God loves her more than you do. 
and she's got to turn to the only real source for help. Let me also add this, because you mentioned that your husband doesn't want her to come. Um, you know, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord is still in our Bibles. And it sounds to me like your husband, um, his motives might not be as pure, but it sounds to me like your husband also knows what's best for her. And as long as we're taking uh, care of people's problems, as long as we're uh, enabling them, uh, preventing them from the need to run to the Lord, uh, in that case, um, having her come to your house when you know she won't ever live, leave uh, is, is really setting uh, the relationship up for real difficulty and and perhaps even even breaking apart completely. So I wouldn't do it. Now, it sounds like she's not in town. So if you're thinking about bringing her to town, I, I don't know if you and your husband are able, uh, maybe getting her started in an apartment and she can take care of herself, something that's, that's reasonably close to you so that she's in the neighborhood, but at the same time not living with you. Um, perhaps you can do that and then say, okay, sis, now, now it's all on you. Uh, we've gotten you started. We, we paid the first month's rent. Uh, now you got to get a job. you got to take care of yourself. You're too young at 50s, uh, in her 50s. You're, she's too young to give up. And this is when she needs to overcome her concerns about COVID or anything else. And by the way, people that are using COVID as an excuse to stay out of church, uh, that, that's all it is. It's, it's spiritual laziness. Um, um, and we're really not helping them at all. They need to be in church, back in fellowship, using the gifts that God has given them. So um, if you and your husband are able and willing to do that, as the Lord leads in prayer, um, maybe you can set her up in an apartment somewhere, and, uh, and but, but then you've got to hold her feet to the fire, not in a judgy way, but in a, in a, look, we love you, but I'm not going to enable you like mom did. I want you to stand on your own two feet. I want you to walk with Jesus because he has a purpose and a meaning for your life. And sis, you're not living in that perfect will of God. Uh, and I, I'll help you get there. But after that, it's between you and the Lord. So, Susan, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, but but unless you and your husband are in complete agreement about her coming and clearly he's not, uh, it's not a good idea to bring her to your house. It will only foster resentment and um, and encroach upon your lives. So um, make her accountable. Again, it won't feel good. The enemy will lie to you. Perhaps other family members or, or uh, others who know you both will, will also try to make you feel guilty. But you know your heart to your sister. The Lord knows your heart for your sister. And here's the thing that we always need to remember. She is loved by Jesus infinitely more than she's loved by you. And the life she's living, as much as it breaks your heart, breaks his heart at an even deeper level. So, Susan, that's the best I can do with the information that I have. Uh, these are never comfortable things. But um, imagine 10 years from now, um, I'll probably be dead, but imagine 10 years from now um, having the same phone call with a voice on the radio saying, my sister, she's this and she's that. Um, 10 years, these 10 years can be a really good 10 years, a fruitful 10 years, or it can be more pain and frustration. Susan, thank you very much for the question. And uh, boy, I really, really empathize with you. That's a tough one. Here's a question from Michelle. She says, uh, Pastor Ron, I really don't want to get married. Is that a sin? Uh, no, Michelle, it's not a sin. God says it's not good for man and, or woman to be alone. Um, it's better um, to be married. That's just a general rule of life. But he also says through the Apostle Paul, who was single and celibate, um, uh, Paul said, you know, at least from his perspective, and remember, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He's saying, look, because I'm single, I can devote all my time and all of my energy to serving the Lord. So, Michelle, those are your two contrasting elements here. So if you don't want to get married, don't be ashamed of it. Don't be embarrassed by it. Don't let anybody make you feel guilty about it. But, but it's an opportunity for you to witness to people. You can say, look, I'm single. Jesus is my husband, and I'm serving him now. So don't bug me about getting married. 
I'm, I'm fine, just me and Jesus, and leave it at that, and then let people see the fruit coming from the witness of your life. Because when, when a, a single man or a single woman is completely committed to Jesus Christ, believe me, believe me there will be fruit from your life when he's first, when he is the priority in your life. Uh, and you have the ability, not being married, not to be worried about anything or anyone else, just you and Jesus, and let him have uh, his way in your heart, Michelle, and I promise you, you will know what contentment really is all about. Paul said he's learned the secret of being content in every circumstance, and uh, I think this is an opportunity for you, Michelle, to learn that same secret. Contentment is an attractive thing, on the other hand, you can tell the Lord, Lord, if you bring somebody who just knocks my socks off, okay, but right now it's just you and me. And that way you'll walk right into his perfect will, whatever it is. Good question. Thank you, Michelle. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Brenda says, uh, what does it mean that God will restore the years the locust has eaten in Joel 2.25. You know, Brenda, I am personally convinced that every believer, every single believer, especially when they're brand new Christians, and I mean literally every believer, has had this promise sent their, their way by the Holy Spirit. Um, to restore the years the locust has eaten just means to redeem the past that you messed up. Uh, I had this promise from the Lord, and I was just reading through the Bible, and when I came to, to Joel chapter 2, uh, it was almost like Jesus was saying to me, uh, get ready, Ron, get ready, Ron, I've got something for you, and I got to, he will restore the years of the locust, or the, the years that the locust has eaten. That, for me, Brenda, uh, it was as though Jesus was in the room saying, I know you messed your life up, I know you've hurt people's feelings. I know you've hurt their lives. I know you've caused enormous pain. I know there are people who think I can never use you, but don't worry. I've got you, and I'm going to make your life fruitful again. Now, in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Joel, um, invasions of locusts, if you've seen them on YouTube or in the news, uh, they are devastating. I mean, they can wipe out uh, the, the most abundantly fruitful grounds in, in, in no time, completely leave it devastated. And um, um, God's saying, I'll, I'll put the, the fruit back on. And so that's what it means. And this is a promise, as I said, I think anybody reading the Bible, any new Christian, uh, God has said, don't worry, I have so much more ahead of you, more even than you messed up behind you. And the truth for me, Brenda, was that those years... Um, um, hardly ever come to mind now. There's times when I share my testimony and there's times when Paul and I deal with stuff from the past, but the, the, the reality is that it's, it's no longer even an issue uh, in my life. I don't do one moment of guilt at all uh, for the things that I did in the past. And uh, I tell people all the time, I tell my church, I'm the richest man in the world. I get to hang out with you guys. I get to have the privilege of teaching you the word. I get to see the work that God is doing in and through your lives. Um, I just can't imagine a richer or more fulfilling life. And that promise that the Lord made to me that day that he would restore the years the locust has eaten, um, boy, has that ever come true in spades for me. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Brenda. Here's a question from Margaret from our email inbox. Um, hello, Pastor Ron. Hang in there. Summer will probably be here next month. You're reading my mind, Margaret. Thank you. I'm, I'm a, you know, I've said this on this program. Paul and I, 90 degrees is perfect for us. We like it hot. And so, uh, boy, hanging in in this cold weather is tough. But I'll survive, Margaret, and I'll try to do it without grumbling. And Paul is probably laughing now because I'm sure I've grumbled plenty. Then she says this, my question is about angels escorting us to heaven. So many of the people I know have friends or family who are dealing with terminal illnesses. Worse, most of the people do not believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. I have a prayer group, mostly via text. Several times we have been asked to pray while someone is ministering to somebody who's near death. 
I made a comment about angels escorting believers to heaven. I made It made some uncomfortable, I think. I've been trying to back my theory with scripture, and I can't find a definitive answer. Um, I've heard that you teach on the subject, and I know that's why I believe this. Plus, in Luke, Jesus talks about the angels carrying Lazarus to Abraham's side, uh, but that was before Jesus set the captives free. And can you help me? I want to make sure what I've shared is doctrinally sound. I've shared my thoughts with my dad on his deathbed. We prayed, and he said, I'm ready. Bless his heart. That's my insert. Uh, I wasn't present when dad passed, but I hope he saw an angel right before he saw Jesus. Um, not only, Margaret, is it doctrine correct. This is something that I used to comfort people an awful lot. Um, you know, our world sort of believes that we don't really want to um, talk about death. We want to keep a positive attitude, all that nonsense. Uh, as many people as I have been with on their deathbeds over the years, Margaret, uh, what I have found is the one thing they want to talk about is dying. They want to know what happens next. And what I tell them is simply this. When the time comes, and that time could be now, it could be, um, you know, hours from now or days from now. But when it comes, uh, there will be an angel who comes to your room. Um, Luke chapter 16, you're right. The angels carried um, the rich man and Lazarus to their destinations, the the, uh, the Lazarus was escorted into paradise. And although that's before Jesus was crucified and resurrected, uh, it's the same thing. We still have angels who are carrying us in the presence of, of the Lord. And it happens in an instant. And nobody will see the angel but the person who's getting ready to depart. Um, i take a quick story. Our, our, our senior pastor, the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel, Pastor Chuck Smith, um, when he was getting ready to die, he died at 84 years of age. He had lung cancer without ever smoking a cigarette. He had lung cancer. Um, and uh, toward the end, he was getting just a little bit delirious. Um, and, and, and when he was awake, which wasn't often, and in the hospital, um, just as he was getting ready to go, um, it got eerily silent. And all of a sudden, in a voice, and we all know Pastor Chuck's voice, it's a rich baritone voice, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, his eyes opened, and he went, all right, just like that. And we've heard him say that a bunch of times, but it was at that moment that the angel would have been there and said, Chuck, it's time. And he'll lift a hand, and the real you, the real person who's, who's contained in that sick and dying body will come out and instantly... Uh, that angel will escort you into the presence of the Lord. So um, people want to talk about that. People want to know what's going to happen. And uh, that's exactly what happens. So Luke chapter 16 is the key. Um, the story is in verses 19 through 31. Uh, and that just demonstrates what we have. Now, uh, there are some people that also use that, Margaret, to indicate that we have guardian angels. I think personally that's a bit of a stretch. Um, I, I don't. I don't know that we do or don't have guardian angels, but I, th that text doesn't prove it. But the idea is that there are angels who are watching um, the the eyes of the Lord, and uh, all they're doing is waiting for orders from headquarters, and then they'll do their job. And we will be uh, escorted by angels into the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't know why that would make anybody uncomfortable. Um, uh, somebody who's a believer, but. Um, um, the reality is that that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, and I, I, again, I've been in that place. Um, I don't have anybody on hold, do I? Nobody on hold. So uh, I, my, my office manager uh, at the time, um, her name was Sue, and I loved her so much, and, and uh, she got cancer. And she believed the Lord was going to heal her, and, and um, she was healed, but she was healed when she went to heaven. But when I went to her house on the last day of her life, um, Lord woke me up that morning and said, go see Sue. Uh, I hadn't planned on going. And uh, so um, when I was on my way there, Paula was driving me. Um, when I was on my way there, the Lord spoke to my heart. Oh, actually, no, this happened in the house. He said, take a washcloth. Uh, take a washcloth, and I want you to prepare her to come and see me. And um, she was out of it mostly. 
but we, I, I put that washcloth in warm water and I washed her feet first and then I washed her face and um, it gave me an opportunity to talk with her and pray for her and she opened her eyes and she said to me she, she just says, her voice was very small she said I thought Jesus was going to heal me and I told her I said he has right now and we left and she went to be with Jesus at that moment so uh, and I told her what was going to happen too. I, again, I don't like people to be surprised, and I want them to be comforted. Now, if you're dealing with unbelievers, um, tell the story anyway, Margaret. That will really help people uh, uh, give an opportunity to ask questions, opportunity to witness and share uh, the goodness of God. It's always frustrating for me when unbelievers say, well, at least he won't be in pain anymore. At least she won't have, have any more suffering. The suffering has only just begun. Only just begun if, in fact, they don't know Jesus Christ. And that's a time to be bold. Not ugly, not aggressive, but bold. There's no time this person needs Jesus. Hey, we'll be back on the other side of the break. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll see you in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585. I want to, just because I want all the details to be correct, I misspoke in that last story that I told about Sue, I said it was Paula who took me there, and my producer is shaking his head and saying, no, I'm the one who drove you there. And I remember he drove me there because it was sort of a, an emergency. I needed to be there, and uh, so he drove me. So if if I've this, told the story before, I, I just didn't want there to be any conflicting details. Here's a question from Mark from our email inbox. Greetings, Pastor Ron. I pray all is well. I ran across several videos by the name of GOCC, which stands for Gathering of Church of Christ Church. I find his messages and teaching lessons very enlightening. Um, also, there are many followers. I believe God is using these elders in a mighty way. They are teaching and breaking down scriptures like I have never heard before. I love our Heavenly Father so much. Uh, all he has to do uh, and all he has done for me and pray for his guidance and um, and was led to these teachings. I also study the Bible carefully and everything these elders teach definitely line up with scripture. Just want to know if you've seen or heard of them. What are your thoughts? Mark, I'm going to have to take a pass on this one until tomorrow when I have a time to, to really look it up. All I did in the break and two minutes goes by very quickly uh, was look up and there's some definitely uh, red flags there. Uh, but I don't know what they are and I don't want to speak. A couple of things. Remember, we're to test the spirits. First John chapter 4 says, not every spirit is from God. And when people say, well, I, I want to know God and he led me here, we automatically assume that anything that, that uh, um, happens when we're, we're looking to please God is from the Lord. And it's not. The enemy's always throwing up curves. And, um, um, and again, I don't know. I'll give you a more detailed answer, Mark on tomorrow's program. I'll try to get it at the top of the program so you don't have to listen to the whole show if you if you have something else to do. Uh, but, uh, boy, just, I just wonder when there's some red flags there, uh, and I don't know. Um, just be careful, and, and I'll give you an answer on this in tomorrow's program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Patrick. In a Christian wedding ceremony, is it okay to have a dance and alcohol? Uh, now, this is just me, Patrick. I would say yes on the dance and no to the alcohol. Um, I will not stay at a wedding reception if alcohol is going to be served. Uh, I make it a big deal, Patrick, when I do a wedding to make Jesus the guest of honor. I know it's all about the bride, and that's the way it is, but but Jesus is the guest of honor. And I just I tell people, look, I just can't imagine making Jesus the guest of honor at the wedding and then not inviting him to the to the reception. And if people are going to be drinking, I just think that that's not a healthy um, um, 
Christian environment for people to be in. Uh, I, I've had situations where people uh, actually lied to me and said, okay, there won't be any alcohol. And then there was. I just left. Uh, I'm not going to preach to them or anything, but uh, I just don't want to be there if if there's going to be the opportunity for alcohol. Now, dancing, I think, is great. Um, you should see at our uh, at our weddings and uh, the, the, the people can't wait um, to get on the dance floor. And that's just fun. So there's nothing wrong with dancing at all. We just had a, um, a, a debut. It's a Filipino culture custom. And uh, an 18-year-old girl that I've known since she was an infant. I mean, uh, I love this girl. She is, is literally a granddaughter to me. And um, uh, the people couldn't wait the music when it was the, the, the celebration part and they were dancing the dance floor was absolutely packed there's just one guy we all hated we hated Raphael he and his wife Ziamora they get out on the dance floor and you can tell they've been dancing like since they were 10 or something I mean they can really dance and all the other husbands are saying oh Raphael get out of here we don't like you but they were having a blast we were having fun watching them so um, yes to the dance Jesus is having, in, he's all for having fun and no to the alcohol. Um, having said no to the alcohol, um, inherently there's nothing sinful about the alcohol. Um, I just don't think it um, really belongs uh, at a reception. That's my personal opinion. And Patrick, you are free to disagree uh, if you do so. Here is a question from Diana. Uh, how would you answer someone who says there's no such thing as one truth? Um, Diana, people know better than that. They say dumb things like that, uh, and they know they're saying something that's dumb. Of course it's true. It's true that you're Diana and I'm Pastor Ron. That's only one truth. You can't say, well, I think I'm Pastor Ron. That's my truth. Uh, everybody would know how silly that is. So, uh, I would just use logic. Truth, by its very nature, is mutually exclusive. Two things that contradict one another, both of those things cannot be true. Now, they can both be lies, but they, they cannot both be true um, because truth is measured according to the Word of God. And, uh, and, and instinctively, Diana, we know that. We know that, I, you know, Oprah Winfrey has caused so much damage, so much pain in this world. Um, she's the one that popularized, well, you have to go preach your truth or you have to go stick to your truth. No, you've you got to stick to the truth of the Word of God. That's the only infallible truth. And anything in contradiction to that truth or in opposition to that truth is simply not true. And that's how I would answer and then I'd leave them alone because most of the time they're simply not interested in listening. And when people stop listening, I try to stop talking. So uh, that's how I would answer them. And then, Diana, I would pray for them and let them know. One of the things I say to people like that all the time is, look, you know who I am. You know where I am. If you ever really want to talk about something that's really important, come and see me. I'll spend all the time you need. But you know that there's only one truth. And leave it at that. Randy asks, Pastor Ron, can Satan read our minds? No, he can't. Uh, he is not uh, omniscient nor omnipresent um, um, as, as God is. Um, now, obviously, he's powerful. Uh, he has a network of demons that he commands. Uh, but he cannot read our minds. Now, there are two things that he can do. He is probably the best psychologist uh, in the history of the world. Uh, he reads our minds. He knows uh, our thought processes in the sense that he's watched us. Uh, Peter says he prowls around looking, inspecting us, really, when Job, uh, when he went to, to, to the Father in heaven and, and asked for Job. And God says, you've been inspecting him, haven't you? Well, that's what Satan does. And he's good at predicting our behavior based on our past performance. The other thing that he can do, Randy, is that he can um, plant thoughts in our head. We know that David was provoked by Satan 
to number the troops of Israel. Israel, uh, I think personally his worst sin is his most grievous and costly sin. So um, um, Satan can plant thoughts. Um, he can predict our behavior, but he cannot read our minds. Now, a, a related question to this, Randy, you didn't give this, but I get it all the time, is people say, should I pray under my breath so Satan can't hear? You don't have to worry about that because when you're talking to the Lord, he's got you covered. Satan can't do anything. Uh, he'll try to distract you, of course, and all that, but it doesn't matter. God is the one who protects us. He's the one who leads us and guides us, so uh, don't worry about that. But no, he cannot read our minds. Only God knows what we're going to say before we're going to say it. He knows it before we know it. Here's a question from Henry. He says, as a Christian... I know we're supposed to be loving to unbelievers. Does this mean we should affirm their pronoun choices? That seems dishonest to me. Henry, it is dishonest. And no, it is not loving to affirm their pronoun choices, nor their their lifestyles when their lifestyles are sinful. Um, it may sound more loving. It may sound more accepting and affirming. But... Um, remember, we're obligated to tell the truth in love, and we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ, so we've got to reflect his heart when we're talking to unbelievers. And uh, unbelievers are required to repent. God requires men everywhere to repent. And so that's what you would say to somebody who's an unbeliever. And, and Henry, that's the most loving thing you can do. Um, whether or not other people think it's loving is irrelevant. God knows it's loving. You know it's loving. We can't worry about what other people think. But um, we cannot affirm their sinful choices uh, or their lifestyles. And you're right. It is dishonest to try to do so. Hope that makes sense to you, Henry. Thank you for the question. Three four zero ninety five. I'm laughing because I've already looked at the next question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Your toll free. 877-630-5757. we got time yet for some questions in this half of the program. This is from Jackson. Jackson, you always have great questions. He says this, I've already broken my New Year's resolutions. How can I be more faithful? Jackson, two things, and I tell my church every year as we're coming to the New Year, no New Year's resolutions. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just tell the Lord, Lord, you know every time I do this, I break them, and they end up doing guilt and feeling terrible, and then the enemy pounds me. So no New Year's resolutions, Lord. Let me be close to you. That's all I want, Lord, is help me to be more like you. Help me to love you more. And then you can say, Jesus, if I'm going to walk with you, lead me into healthier lifestyles, if that's what your New Year's resolution is. Or, Lord, don't let me fall to this sin of temptation that I've continually been falling to. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, Jackson, uh, you, if you're with Jesus, then you're going to do the right thing. Discipline, self-control, reading the Bible, uh, praying more consistently, getting involved in church. Whatever your New Year's resolutions were, you just say, Jesus, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold on to your hand as tightly as I can, and you just drag me, if necessary, to follow you in your perfect will. And uh, don't make New Year's resolutions. We have a Wednesday night problem now at our church because the parking lot, we've had a gym in the parking lot where we are. And, um, um, you know, there's never been any problem in the parking lot, uh, parking place on a Wednesday night for the people in the church. And we, we've kind of packed this place, the parking lot out. But, but since the first of the year, our gym is absolutely crazy packed and finding a parking spot is just really difficult. And uh, somebody said, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to wait till February because uh, those people's New Year's resolutions will all be broken, uh, mostly be broken uh, by then. And things will get back to normal like they do every single year. So be more faithful by being disciplined, self practicing self-control. And uh, Jackson, just be with Jesus. That's the only way you're going to do it. Here is an anonymous question. It says, uh, Pastor Ron, will you talk about conflict resolution in marriage? Yeah, I will do that, Anonymous. Uh, let me just warn you in advance that people hate it when I do because 
the obvious answer uh, is one that we don't want. You know, when people come to marriage counseling, um, they, they, they kind of expect me to negotiate. And I let them know at the beginning, I never negotiate. I'm not on their side. I'm on Jesus' side. And then they tell them this, if you'll do what Jesus tells you to do in his word, then things will get better, get better very quickly. If you don't do what Jesus tells you to do in his word, then things are going to get worse. And uh, usually one or the other, sometimes both, don't want to do what the word tells them to do because they want what they want and they're unwilling to let go of what they want. So conflict resolution is the simplest thing in the world to know what to do. Um, but it's hard to actually put it into practice because our flesh doesn't want to do it. So let me say this. Behind every conflict is flesh. So you've got to kill the flesh. The second thing you've got to do, husband and wife, they need to sit down and agree together in the presence of the Lord. They've got to agree together to agree with him. And so if there's a conflict regarding raising your children, a conflict regarding uh, buying something new, a conflict with, with a job change or a career change, whatever the, whatever the problem is, um, all you've got to do is say, let's open the word and we'll find out what God says. And then we're going to do that. Agreed? It's much better than rock, paper, scissors. It's much better than arguing with one another. Just conflict resolution. Jesus, what do you want us to do? And every single situation that you'll ever encounter is either specifically or principally covered in the Bible. Every one. I've never run across an exception. Lord, what do you want us to do? Let's find out what the will of God is, and then we agree together to do that. So if you and your spouse will agree together to agree with Jesus, then conflicts don't last at all. Let me tell you a quick, uh, quick story, an example. One of the best things ever, uh, a guy that I'm going to be making a pastor, um, and uh, his way of dealing with conflict in, in his marriage, and um, I, I love them. They're, they're like kids to me. Um, but his wife is pretty headstrong. And, and Louis said, he said, uh, my way of dealing with conflict resolution is simply this. I, I, I look at her and say, look, we've, we've always been best friends. 20 minutes from now, we're going to be best friends again. Can we just go do that right now? Doesn't that, isn't that wonderful? Instead of getting angry, instead of saying things that you regret, instead of having to deal with guilt and all, isn't that a wonderful way to resolve conflict? How can two walk together, Amos 3.3 3 says, unless they agree to do so? So that's all you've got to do. Now, I will warn you that when you agree to do what God wants you to do, that will oppose or be opposed by your flesh almost every time. But that's why we've got to crucify the flesh every single day. So, um, Anonymous, that's it never fails. It, it just never fails. The failure is a result of our flesh not wanting to surrender to the will of God. Here is a question from Leonard about Catholics. Catholics refer to church traditions as authoritative. Uh, are they? And what church traditions do non-Catholics need to follow? Um, Leonard, there's Catholics. Here's the, here's the, the, the problem with Catholics. They, they put their traditions, the church teachings and church traditions, two different things, on an equal level authoritatively with the Word of God. Let's see, yeah, we, we believe in the Bible, and we know it's authoritative, but also our church traditions or our church teachings are authoritative. And the only way a tradition is authoritative is if it is consistent with the Word of God, because there's one source of authority for life, for practice, and that's the Word of God, the Bible. And so any church tradition that, that is in opposition to what the Bible says is not a church tradition or is not a, a Christian tradition at all. Um, so what, what Catholics need to do is get rid of the church traditions that are in opposition to the word, and then they no longer have a, a problem. So um, the question is always the same. 
who or what is in the authority, in authority in your life? And as I just said to the last question about conflict resolution in marriage, the answers are all there. All we have to do is invest in finding out what the Bible says, what it means, so that we know how to solve those problems. Uh, you asked about what church traditions do non-Catholics need to follow. Uh, there, there aren't any. I mean, um, frankly, if churches have traditions, uh, they're unnecessary. Um, they're redundant. Um, we're supposed to, to accept the Bible as the single authority figure in our lives. And that's all you need to do. So, um, no, church traditions, church teachings are not authoritative unless they are in complete and consistent agreement with the Bible. It's the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Lewis or Luis, uh, whichever it is. He says, when I talk to my friends about being obedient, he says I'm being legalistic. I don't think I am, but how can I convince him? Lewis, this is pretty easy. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Uh, Nothing legalistic about that. It's a love affair. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ that is rich and it's full. And and the way that you uh, fall more in love with Jesus is by walking in obedience. And by walking in obedience, you are subject to the power of the Holy Spirit. And you get to experience the goodness of God poured out uh, in your life and through your life to others. So, um, you know, what I would tell my friend is, uh, are, are you looking for reasons to sin? You know, it's pretty easy to open the Bible and say if, if somebody, I'll give you an example, if somebody is having sex with somebody they're not married to, uh, it's pretty easy to open the Bible and say, well, see, this says it's sin. And I love you. I care about you. I don't want you to be guilty of sin. I want you to be available when Jesus comes for his church and, and you're living in disobedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Now, what's legalistic about that? And typically, when you get response, Lewis, from people like this, it's, well, God knows my heart and God understands. And in our responsibility then to others who are professing Christians... And when I say our responsibility, we're accountable to God to do this. Our responsibility is to tell them that they're wrong and that their fellowship with God is broken off because of their sin. And all you want and what you will be praying for is for them to be able to renew the freshness, the the wonder of their relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Lewis, often when I will talk to people like this, I'll warn him. I said, you know, God's, he's patient, but you can't keep flaunting your sin in his face. Pretty soon, things are going to come to a crunch point. And at that point, your life's going to fall apart. Oh, my life is better than ever. I'm closer to God than I've ever been. Um, That's when we really and truly need to pray for people. So um, tell him you love him, you care about him. Jesus in his word says, people who live like you're living will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hope that makes sense to you, Lewis. Thank you. Roger, this might be our last one of the day. Roger says, um, Pastor, why doesn't God do miracles um, like in the Gospels today? Roger, I'm sure there are places in the world where God does miracles. Um, There are reports coming out of third world countries, especially uh, Middle Eastern countries where people actually face dying uh, for a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, so uh, th- there are miracles, signs and wonders pointing to Jesus Christ. Now, here in the West, um, we don't need signs to point to Jesus. Jesus is everywhere. We know all about him. We've got churches on every corner. We've got um, Bibles, the best-selling book in the history of the world. So, So we've got already that which points to Jesus Christ. And, Roger, I, I think that that most of us as Christians wouldn't know a real miracle if it slapped us in the face because we're looking for this phony counterfeit stuff that we see in these crazy charismatic churches. Let me also say, and I'm going to be teaching on this 
in Acts chapter 4 and 5 this coming Sunday. It's our communion Sunday. Um, um, you know, the church has lost its pursuit of holiness. The church has lost its desire to be a light in this world. There's, there's so much sin that's tolerated, so much watering down of the word. Uh, I don't think the Holy Spirit is free to do the things that, that he would like to do because we're quenching the spirit just by virtue of our lifestyle. You know, we want God to do a miracle. There's accountability that goes with that, the answer to that prayer. And, and most of us aren't willing to be accountable to that. So God still does miracles. But remember in the Bible, the purpose of miracles, whether it's the gospel accounts or the book of Acts, the purpose of miracles is to point to Jesus. And everybody you're going to talk to, Roger, knows about Jesus already. They may not know him. They were not saved. But every one of them knows about him. And so we don't need a sign to point. I, I you know, I, I'm not too technical, but everybody uses GPS. And I'll get people in a car and they'll go to their GPS and, and I'll say, well, you know exactly where that is. Why do you need GPS? Well, we get used to doing what we're told to do in a situation like that rather than just going where we know to go. God simply says, uh, you know the way to Jesus. You know the way. Just, just be with Jesus. Roger, thank you for the question. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the questions and the calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, Lord willing, I will be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Have a great day and be safe out there today. See you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.